Welcome to the encore of episode 94 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. In an ironic twist, this outgoing extrovert has built wonderful new friendships with dozens of amazing people over the last 18 months, even as I couldn't leave my home. This was possible because I've hosted the hashtag no more bad zoom virtual happy hour every week since March 13th, 2020, as well as several other free private monthly virtual events. I started hosting these free virtual networking events because I was trying to figure out how to consistently show up and add value in a world that had been radically disrupted. I knew that nurturing my network was always a worthwhile use of my time. And it was. With the support of my network, I was able to reinvent my business as a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer. By late 2020, I had a thriving six-figure business based on all new revenue streams. To help you achieve similar results, I've written a new book, Small List, Big Results, Launch a Successful Offer No Matter the Size of Your Email List. This book will show you how to stop struggling to find an audience for new offers, discover likely prospects from your network who already know, like, and trust you, co-create an irresistible offer, and turn that offer into a profitable new revenue stream. These were the best practices I followed to reinvent my business. Fortunately, I knew how to do this because one of my many hats is that I'm a business growth strategy coach. I've worked with dozens of entrepreneurs on finding product market fit and lead generation with an emphasis on engaging with their existing network. Please join me on my book launch team to help me bring this book into the world. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch. And as a thank you, you'll receive an advanced PDF copy of the book a reminder to download the free Kindle book when it's available on Amazon, access to all the book's resources, starting with the Wake Up Your Network workbook, which you'll receive as soon as you sign up, an invitation to attend a free librarian-led book club discussion, an invitation to attend three free masterclasses, an invitation to attend the book launch debrief meeting, where we'll discuss what we did, what worked, and what we would do differently. And of course, my deepest gratitude for your continued support. As you know, or can imagine, downloads and reviews within the first few weeks are critical to the success of a book. I believe this is a book that will make a difference for entrepreneurs who are struggling to find an audience for their offer. It won't do anyone any good though if no one knows about it. That's where you come in. Here are some of the reasons you may want to support me and the success of this book. You've appreciated and perhaps benefited from my show up and add value philosophy. You are excited about the topic and plan to try out these strategies in your business. You are looking forward to seeing the behind the scenes of a strategic book launch. Sign up for the book launch at robbysamuels.com forward slash book launch. My promise is to support you. You set the intention to support this book and I will make it as easy as possible for you to follow through with your intention. Thank you for helping me bring this book into the world. Now, before we dive into this week's interview, Whether you're thinking about launching an online course, group coaching program, or mastermind, you'll benefit from increasing your confidence and competence with online facilitation. To that end, I'm leading a one-time 
90-minute online facilitation training on Wednesday, September 22nd. Register at robbysamuels.com forward slash 922 training. That's 922 training. This is the same training I provide for the speakers presenting at the events I produce. Recently, I was told it was very evident which speakers skipped my training because they were not as polished and professional. Limited spots are available for this live training. Reserve your seat for $100 or pay only $49 if you also sign up for a pop-up mastermind. Again, the link for the pop-up mastermind is robbysamuels.com forward slash pop-up app. Now, on to this week's Encore interview. Today's guest is a Wall Street lawyer turned talk show host, social dynamics expert, and entrepreneur whose affinity for social influence, interpersonal dynamics, and social engineering has led him to and through many unique situations. He spent several years abroad, speaks five languages, and has worked for various governments and NGOs overseas. His travel took him through war zones and got him kidnapped twice. He will tell you the only reason he's alive today is because of his innate ability to talk his way into and out of almost any situation. Now, after co-hosting a top 50 iTunes podcast for over a decade, achieving almost 4 million downloads a month during its prime, he's embarked on a new adventure, running his own podcast show, where he deconstructs the playbooks of the most successful entrepreneurs, celebrities, writers, and experts on earth to share their strategies, perspectives, and insights with his listeners. Along with his podcast show, he is one of the best and most sought-after coaches in the world because of his business sense, extensive knowledge of the industry, and his contemporary approach to teaching. Please join me in welcoming Jordan Harbinger. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Jordan, thanks so much for joining me from your office in San Jose, California. I am thrilled to have you on. And as I was saying before we even got started here, this is a podcast about leadership and networking. So let's start by understanding how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Sure. So this is one of those questions that people throw out there and it's like, oh, geez, do I even know the answer to this? I'm not really sure. And for me, defining leadership was tough because I didn't think of myself when I was younger as any kind of leader. I wasn't the captain of my football team. I was always friends with people who are leaders, which is actually a really good position to be in because you kind of get none of the responsibility, but all the perks, <laughs> almost all the perks. And I, I leveraged that for a while. But when I started my old show and my old business, I realized that leaving leadership to the people that want it is not always the greatest strategy. And sometimes you have to step up and and lead yourself, even if you're not comfortable doing it. So I found that leadership is, it's kind of that whole feel the fear and do it anyway. And or if if it's going to get done, it's got to get done by you. And there's a part of you that knows it. And that's been complicated. That's been a lifetime process for me because it really seems like, oh, someone's going to appoint themselves the leader or everyone's going to decide who the leader is. But unless you're all willing to fail while one person knows a better way to do something, you eventually have to step up. And so I think it's leadership is, for me has been a process of getting over my own insecurities and my own hesitations. It's not about some sort of grandiose, I've got the vision. You know, It's not about that at all. And when I realized I had the skills to lead was when I was running a lot of a large podcast and I well I still do for for example but people were saying what do we do now how do we grow this and I went oh shoot I'm not just hiring help I have people looking at me going what's next boss and I go the option isn't I don't know what you guys are going to do but I'm going to keep talking into a microphone 
you have to step up and do it. And so it's really been an interesting process for me because I didn't think I could do it. And then I had to. I felt the fear and did it anyway, if you want to throw that cliche around. And then I went, oh, leadership really is just leading by example, showing up every day and making sure that you kind of eat last, right? If somebody needs a pay bump, you need to take a pay cut. That's the way it is. Trans- being transparent and vulnerable is always a good addition, but not so vulnerable that your team says, uh-oh, we're screwed. Why are we following this guy? So it's been pretty complex and it's been an, an emotional thing for me as well that I think has led to a lot of growth, whether I wanted that growth at the time or not. Yeah. Did you have any examples when you were younger of people that you thought did it well? Since, since you yourself were not the epitome of a leader, like you weren't seeking those roles, but you seem to be around people like that. Is there anyone that you can draw like some, you know, oh, yeah. that worked really well or I nope, would never do it that way? Yeah, I had I was in scouts for a long time and we had a scoutmaster and every you just started off by being afraid of the guy because he was a federal marshal. So he was kind of tough and he yelled a lot. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. He's actually a super warm guy who really cares about every one of us. And yet he doesn't take any crap. So you felt like you could approach him and talk to him about pretty much anything. But then if you were lollygagging is what he called it. If you're lollygagging, he would let you have it. And he was always really honest about everything. And I thought, well, that's a pretty good way to be because he can yell at you, but you don't go, well, I don't like this guy. You just go, uh, I know he's right because you respected him. So he earned the respect and then he yielded, he basically wielded it like a sword when necessary. So he had both the carrot and the stick. And I thought that was pretty, pretty cool as a kid because other adults only yelled at you and you avoided them not necessarily your parents, but other teachers and folks like that, they would yell at you so you avoided them. Or you knew you could just talk over this Mrs. Orva, you could talk over, do whatever you want, she was always, or she was always going to be upset. So what's the point? You know, you didn't have that respect. And so I realized it was kind of a tightrope. Type it was kind of a tightrope that needed to be walked. And it wasn't easy. You couldn't just pretend to do it. Do you feel like you've achieved that for where you are today? So you left the art of the charm, uh, and you, you know, 11 years, you brought, what was it like 90% of the team with you. So clearly yeah. you something right about, you know, lead this as far as leadership goes, but this, this like dichotomy of having to, you know, be respected, but also a little feared. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's a, that is a tight line to walk. Do you, so you said no. Yeah. I said no, <laughs> because I don't think that my team is really, Afraid. I think they know that they can say and do what they need to do, but I think that I've cranked the. Res- I'd like to think I'd crank the respect meter high enough where they go. You know, I could probably lollygag on this. I'm going to be using that word the whole show now. I, they could probably lollygag on this, but I don't want the team. I don't want to let the team down. So I really don't have to use the stick very often, and I can't even remember the last time I had to sit someone down and go, "Look, you're blowing it. I don't like this." I can't even remember the last time I had to do that. And I have very, very low turnover in my company on my side of the business for the last decade and change. I've I've only had to let go of very, very few people with the exception of folks that were like, look, I don't know if this is a good job for me. And I'm like, great, I need you for a week. I mean, you know, and then saying, yeah, we're not going to continue. But I've only let go of a handful of people. And usually it's not the fault of it's usually a circumstantial thing. Like, congrats on getting a better job and not telling me. You probably should have told me. I'm going to let you go, but it's going to be better for you in the long run. And I'm still on good terms with all of those people. 
without having to sacrifice my own boundaries, which I think is, in retrospect, that was always a good move, but that came instinctively. Or maybe I just learned it from Mr. J, my scoutmaster, when I was really young. That said, I haven't had to deal very much, and I say very much because I have had to deal with it in the past, with people being outright terrible, stealing from me and things like that. I have had that. However, that I also take on some form of extreme ownership where I say, well, I'm the idiot that allowed these people to be hired. And of course they did that. They were 19, underpaid, not trained properly. Then they were taken under by some other guy who was a little bit of a scammer. So of course he had a little cadre of people that needed to get fired inside the business. And I I went through things like that. And I realized that that wasn't just when these people are victimizing me. This was, of course, you hire idiots, you get dumb results. Well, it's good. It sounds like one of the things you're doing is learning from all of this. And, and that's the growing pains you were talking about earlier, that emotional roller coaster. Uh, you know, you, um, you've been interviewed so many times. I'm curious whether you've ever talked about Mr. J before. No, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, nobody really asked me about my role models as a kid. Because so. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting because you were talking about how, like, obviously, even at a young age, you were good at relationship building. You know, the first thing you said was like, oh, it wasn't so much that I was a, you know, the big deal, hotshot, you know, president of the class, but I knew those people. Um, you know, were you floating between different groups or were you like, did you have a solid sense of who you were and you were like, you had a game plan? Because you went to law school. People I usually did. go to law school have a pretty like mapped out life to that point. Yeah, no, I definitely did not have a plan. So I floated between a lot of groups. And so that was probably the reason that I've found myself friends with people like the captain of the football team and also the captain of the debate club, because I was able to be a chameleon in different groups, hanging out with the athletes, one of the guys hanging out with the geeks. That's more my speed, really uh, hanging out with the, uh, women's lacrosse team, you know, whatever. Sure. You know, I had a lot of friends in each sort of area and that really worked well for me, but I never, it wasn't, wow, I fit in everywhere. It was more like, I don't really fit in anywhere. I so resonate with this. Oh my gosh. Like I really like this idea of being a chameleon. I've talked about it. Also, I've always also said it in sort of a positive tone in the sense Mm -hmm. that it's a gift to be able to mingle with a lot of different kinds of people, but also you know, where, where's like the people who are all my people, like that, that little sense of, well, I don't know. I don't like, I kind of go to all these groups because that's possible, but it's not like any one of them are like my little group. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong and let me know how, how you feel about this. I'm curious. I would have killed to feel really at home in any one group and I totally didn't. Mm. So I just floated between all of them and everyone's like, wow, you're, you have such a diverse group of friends. Even my parents said that. And I was just thinking, because nobody's really a good fit for me because I'm not really a good fit for any group. And it's not really a great feeling when you're a kid and you go, I am the one that doesn't get it. Mm. For the longest time, I framed it as um, more about being unique than being like the odd one out. Now, on the other hand, I'm an outgoing extrovert. This is not like a, a hidden surprise. Thing yeah. <laughs> yeah. Surprise. Um, and so I, I, when I work with people, I tend to work with women. I tend to work with women who are a decade or more older than me. Mm-hmm. And they all think I'm 20 years younger than them. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of it. Um, and they, they lean towards shy and or introverted. And I see those as different scales, right? So I can't say to them, well, I was once just like you. I was totally a wallflower you know, afraid to leave my house, 
I was never, yeah. I was never accused of that. But I do know what it feels like to not fit in, to not feel like, yeah, to not, to not know if I'm welcome somewhere, to like that sort of camp. I wrote about this in my welcome email. It's, my welcome email is titled, Have You Ever Not Felt Welcomed? Um, <laughs> that's my welcome email. So nice. fine. And it's a very high open rate, actually. Oh, yeah, I see what you did there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, but I talk about camp and that feeling of going up to a group of, of campers who are all standing in a circle and then they don't make room for you. And it, now, I actually can visualize this moment, but I don't think they actually knew I was there. But I internalized something about that moment, right? Of like, oh, I don't really belong here. I don't fit in. Or they don't want to hang out with me. And so I, that's the place from which I coach from or when I'm speaking to an audience that I know is filled with a lot of people who are this really anxiety about networking, I, I place myself there because I absolutely feel that. And I, my way around that has been convening people. And it seems like- what? Convening people? Convening people, like okay. hosting things. That's, that's been my, my out from this is because if you host something, then, then that's the people who show up are your people. Yeah, that's true. And you're welcome. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. That's, <laughs> no, I mean, like you, you're, you know, clearly you're you know, welcome to be there and then you make space for others to be welcome to be there. And so that's been my MO my whole life. And so people always said, that's amazing. And of course, I'm like, this is my way of coping. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, I mean, it is probably better than other options. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. I like that outlook. I definitely did not feel like I'm just unique. I thought, oh man, you know, there's something maybe wrong with me or there's something where I just don't fit in. And I looked at other people, I grew up in Michigan. So I looked at a lot of the people that I was growing up with and they were just, so happy hanging out in my friend's driveway. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we going to do? And they're like, oh, we're doing it. And I thought, if this is all there is to life, I'm just going to like jump into the pool head first and not come up, you know? And I just really was driving me crazy. And then when I got uh, my driver's license, I thought, this is it. I'm free. And we would drive from one parking lot to the other and the mall would close and we'd go to the other place. We'd go to the school parking lot and the cops would chase us away. And then we'd go to my friend's house and watch cable TV until 11 and I drive and I'm like, this sucks, you know? And then I remember talking, I started dating this girl and she was like, I got a secret. I'm going to boarding school next year in Norway. And I went, oh, I'm so jealous you get to leave. And she goes, <laughs> wow, you should figure out how to leave too. Cause you and I are both bored to tears. And I said, I'm not going to boarding school in Norway. It's not going to work. So she said, well, have you ever thought about living abroad? And I went, how am I going to do that? And she goes, you could be an exchange student. And I went, oh, wow. I had never thought about that at all. And because the exchange student we had was from Norway and she was like invisible or something. I mean, you know, she was just like random. And, and she had friends, but I just, I didn't think about her at all. And so I contacted that organization and I went to Germany and I just blew, immediately bloomed because I realized that you know how it is in Europe, or maybe you don't, but basically when you're 16, you can drink, you can go do stuff on your own. It's a lot safer. You can travel to another city with your friends on the weekend and stay at a youth hostel and your parents aren't like, where are you? They're like, ah, he's in Hamburg getting drunk with a bunch of 17-year-olds. It's normal. And I was just like, my mind exploded thinking that I could do all of those things. I remember going to Italy with a bunch of my friends. No adults were around and we just hung out, wow. drank wine, stayed at people's houses that were our own age. And the parents would go, all right, I'm leaving. And I, there's beer and wine in, in, the, in the kitchen and we'll be back later tonight. And I thought, it's 4 p.m. They're going to be back in like two hours. No, 
they'd stay out till like 3 a.m. getting drunk with their friends and all uh. these kids would be at our house. And turns out, you know, they were just at the neighbor's house or something. And I just, my mind was just exploding. And I thought, who is trusting us with this level of responsibility? And how are we not screwing this up? Yeah. Well, and that's just that it, really perspective. Like, yeah. it sounds like you got perspective from being like in a little town in Michigan, which by the way, your descriptions of the parking lot, I like, I grew up in yeah. suburban Long Island, like outside the New yeah. York City. And I, my freedom, it wasn't just the car, it was getting, so I'm going to date myself a little bit here, uh, a pager. Oh yeah, I had a pager. <laughs> I got a pager and I was like, you know, when y'all figure out where you're going, you can just reach me and let me know. Yeah. And I would just take off with like one other person because <laughs> I could, they're all just standing there waiting to make plans. I'm like, are these the plans? Are we like talking about making plans? I'm yeah. like, let's get something going here. So it's so interesting because you, you clearly like left the, the track you were on to go to law school. You did all that. And then you, you ended up in the podcast space before most people had any idea that this thing existed. How yeah. did you know that this was a thing to even try? Yeah, good question. So when I was an attorney on Wall Street, I had this kind of, you wouldn't, I guess you'd call it an internship. Basically, you're an associate at a firm for the summer and they don't, they give you minimal real work. They take you out to steakhouses every other day. They wine you and dine you so that you're like, wow, being a lawyer is so great. I want to work here. You know, you're going to see like Blue Man Group or whatever. And I realized that everyone was smarter than me and we were all working six days a week, 16 hours a day, whatever. And I thought, I'm going to get fired because they're going to figure out that I don't belong here. You know, I had imposter syndrome like crazy. And so what I did was try to figure out how I could work from home. And that was, I thought, if I work from home, they won't have enough exposure to me to know that I don't belong here. You know, I'll be able to sort of slide under the radar until I figure it out. And then by the time they're like, where the hell is this Jordan guy? I'll be like, actually, I have skills now. Don't fire me, right? And there was a partner who was never in the office. And I decided, oh, he must know the magical combination of words that you have to say to work from home. So I caught up with him and he, I said, hey, do you work from home a lot? What's the deal? You're never in the office. And he was like, no, I actually bring in a lot of business. And I said, okay. And he goes, I'm not in the office because I'm going to play racquetball. I play golf. I do jujitsu. I do this, that, the charity stuff. And I went, all right, so how are you doing your work? And he's like, I don't worry as much about that because I don't worry about how many billable hours I have, which was the name of the law game. He goes, I just develop relationships and then I get a bonus for the business yeah, that I yeah. bring in. And I was just like, what are you talking? How does, this is so foreign to me that you could just hang out and people would eventually throw you business and that would be your whole career. And he's like, yeah, it's called being a rainmaker. I highly recommend it. And I, of course, his tips were like, yeah, just put yourself out there and, you know, like be cool. And I thought, not going to be able to do either of those things because I don't know what that <laughs> means. And I've never been cool in my life. So I decided to figure out what that might entail. And I took every Dale Carnegie class, Toastmasters, public speaking, you know, learn how to do this. And I, all of it was very trite. It was like, look them in the eye and have a firm handshake. And I, I just came to the conclusion that, look, if somebody doesn't like you, it's not because you broke eye contact two milliseconds too early. It's not because the firmness of your ham, handshake was off by three PSI. Like that's not, that's <laughs> not why people aren't throwing you million dollar law deals. There's something more nuanced to it. And that led me to the study of body language, nonverbal communication, networking, 
in in the real sense of the world, relationship development and the things you talk about on the on the show here. And that was what I started teaching this to people and telling them about body language and telling them about persuasion and influence. And people were so interested in this that I found myself having the same conversation pretty much every other night for years. And I thought, okay, I've got to burn this to CDs. And then when people go, wait, 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 start from the beginning, I can be like, here's the CD, go listen to this. And I did that. I walked around with CDs in my pocket that I burned on my own. No, you did not. For months. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? That's that so like, amazing. They're a collector item now. Of course, yeah, I can't, I can't play them on my computer, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't even know what I would do with it. I'd have to like find, hey, does anyone have a CD-ROM? What? <laughs> um, or a DVD-ROM? I guess it wasn't even a DVD back then. And so I started to focus on that. And then at one point, one of my friends is like, hey, there's this new thing called podcasting. It's 2006. We can upload the MP3s that you're burning to CD to a website, and then we can just refer people to the website, and they can click and download the MP3. And I said, that's great. I don't have to walk around with these CDs anymore. So we started the podcast up in the iTunes store and we were looking at these statistics and analytics. And what was really cool was you'd see something and it's like, oh, someone from South Africa just downloaded this. And I thought, oh, that's so weird. So I'd say on the next, well, we didn't know it was a show at the time, but I would say on the next episode, hey, um, who's in South Africa that just downloaded this episode a bunch of times? Email me. And someone would write in and say, hey, I'm a game warden in South Africa. I burn this stuff to my CD player and I drive around in my Jeep looking at giraffes or whatever. If you're ever out here, let me know. I'll take you on a safari. And that made my, that was just like, wait a minute. There are people in other countries listening to this that now want to hang out. This medium yeah. is so powerful. And that was, that was it for me. I didn't need any more convincing. But I also know that it took you several years to realize that it was a business, you know, oh, yeah. in, in any kind of, I mean, formal sense, you know, you were clearly putting, were you, were you consistent about the episodes coming out like regularly from the beginning or? Like, no, not, not really, not really. I, for years and years and years, it was kind of like, I'll put one out when I have time. Mm. And so that was like once every two or three weeks, something like that. And then and that went on for years. And then uh, I remember Kevin Smith, the director, he started this podcast network and his people were like, hey, you need to release every day, like every Tuesday, not just whenever you feel like it. And they're like, that's so important for keeping and maintaining. Yeah. And I was like, eh, I'll give it a thought. And then I, I tried it and it went, oh, okay, this guy's serious about producing this show. And our listener base started to grow and grow and grow. And that, that was really important. And then... I started testing more than one episode per week and I started testing different little elements of the show and production. And then after, and I know this was my about seven years in, I interviewed Robert Greene, who's an author of 48 Laws of Power. And I did the interview and at the end he goes, how come this took so long? And I was like, well, I didn't know if I had anything quality to do. I didn't want to waste your time. And he's like, no, I do a lot of interviews and this is a high quality interview. And that really made me feel pretty good about this. And I told my friend Ryan Holiday, who used to work with Robert Green, yeah, Robert's so nice. He said it's a really good interview. And Ryan was like, he doesn't really hand out compliments like that. <laughs> and I thought, oh. So he goes, you should really take that to heart. And I did. And I really started to take things seriously. And remember, this is seven years in. I got all new equipment. I started making sure my acoustics were good. I started working on my voice. I started editing a lot of the other smaller minutiae out of the show that were time wasters. I started thinking about the things that I was saying. I yeah. started preparing more for each episode. 
So it was a long, drawn-out process to becoming a professional. It wasn't just, I'm going to be a professional podcaster, dot, 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 profit. Well, there was no model for it. I mean, the thing is that you were still out of the gate way ahead of a lot of other people. So yeah. even when, even though you were slow to like take this, you know, in a business sense, seriously, um, you had all those listeners who were like waiting to tune in. You could only have gotten better. And now, so now you've moved on and that, that was a very challenging thing. So, you know, what, what is the like three second version that you want to share? Cause I want to, I want to have you talk about what you do now and particularly what you find most rewarding, but mm-hmm. I, but I know people know your name and they're like, wait, I know this guy's name, Jordan, Jordan Harbinger. Well, they know you from one show, but now, mm-hmm. fortunately, it carries the same name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that was smart uh, marketing right there. So it was yeah. lazy branding. <laughs> so talk a little bit about this, this shift that you're in right now. Sure. So I ran the Art of Charm podcast for 11 years, and I negotiated an amicable split with the partners there, and then that amicable split did not work out. And for various reasons that are still being you know, ongoing determination here. And so rather than try to deal with that directly and waste a bunch of time and resources, or in addition to wasting a bunch of time and resources, I I should say, the common advice from all of the successful friends that I have was move on starting now. Do not waste another minute of time dealing with drama and BS. And I went, okay. So we started the Jordan Harbinger show and I was fortunate to be able to take the vast majority of the team with me into the new show. And so now I've got a training company, Advanced Human Dynamics, where we run events. We, we, we're running, running through products. We're going to be teaching networking, negotiation, rapport building, verbal and nonverbal communication, and the Jordan Harbinger Show, which has been going for just over 90 days and already has something in the neighborhood of close to 4 million downloads by now, which is really... Yeah, it took I you like nine years to get there the first time, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so now I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I wouldn't have had the guts to make this kind of dramatic switch on my own. So actually getting this, having this whole thing crumble was actually like the best thing that ever happened to me, which sounds like a cliche trite thing. And everyone yeah. told me, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. And I was like, it sucks right now. But now I realize, wait a minute, it's still a grind. It's still hard, but I get it. This is actually the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm moving closer and closer towards that every single day with my team when we accomplish something new that feels more exciting, that's more on brand, that doesn't involve BS back and forth and things like that. It's, it's really freeing. You know, any good story is going to have a challenge because if there's no challenges, the story is so flat. So you know, good for you for seeing yourself through to the other side. What is it that you find most rewarding about what it is you're able to do today? I love being able to take really previously inaccessible people, at least sometimes, and interview them in in a way that I've worked on for a decade plus and do an interview that nobody else has ever done with them and get their superpowers out of them and deliver them to the audience. So it's not about really what the guest has done. It's about what the guest can teach the listener. So studying their thoughts, their habits, their actions, these brilliant people is not just enough on its own. It's about the audience being able to apply that same wisdom for themselves. And that was really the key because there's a lot of people doing profiles. You can watch the news and get a journalist profile of some celebrity. 
it's just not enough anymore. People have so many options. If you don't give them something that they can use to grow, I find that it's not good enough. And so that's why every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show has worksheets so that every episode has practical things the audience can use right out of the box. And, yeah. um, and that's what I really love doing is creating a little product that everyone can use right away rather than just, wasn't that interesting? Next. Yeah, I think most people have a hard time with the implementation. So if you give it to them in a super easy, consumable way and they actually take action, they're going to love you forever because you know, then they'll remember you as the person who helped them learn that and yeah. actually apply it. Um, I also know how hard it is to do a long-form show the way you do and really dig in deep. In deep and that's, that's the skills you've built over the years. You've also, though, just built an incredible network of people. And I want to sort of segue into the conversation about networking. Sure. Because, I, you know, in your, what, 15 years now, probably, you, you know, since you started walking around with those CDs, which yeah. the visual is so awesome, I got to tell you. I know, um, so I, I can't imagine the number of people you've met, you've, you've influenced, you've impacted. You've got your sort of inner circle of people and then you've got that in the sort of next layer out. Um, and then there's like the world that knows you writ large. How are you nurturing that middle group that like not your people that you connect with all the time or, you know, you, you have holidays with, but, you know, right. the people that you're like, oh, I really like this person, you know, but you don't have business with them. You know, maybe you interview them once, but that's like, what's your philosophy or habit around that kind of sustained connection with somebody? Sure. So I have, I really do think that networking and maintaining networks is a set of habits. And so one thing that I'll do is every day around 9, 10 a.m., I'll scroll all the way down in my text messages to the people that you haven't texted in like three years that you had, you know, hey, I had lunch with you once at a conference in San Diego in 2016. It's like, okay, rather than just accept that as a lost contact, I'll send a text that says, and I do this with four or five people a day because you can do it in line for coffee. Hey, it's been a minute. Hope this finds you well. What's the latest in your world? No rush on the response. And then you sign your name. And the reason that this is important, you sign your name so they don't go, new phone, who dis? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also say no rush on the response. I realize everyone's busy or no need to reply if you're busy. What that does is it, it demolishes any sense of urgency, which sounds counterintuitive. But the reason that this is important is because if you do have urgency, you sound like a salesman. Like, hey, get back to me when you can. It's like, oh, why? So you can sell me your Herbalife shakes or like tell me to join Scientology or something? No, thanks. <laughs> so you take that urgency off the table and counterintuitively, it increases the response rate that you're going to get. Um, and I have other systems like that that I use with my email. And also, I use things like my Facebook newsfeed where that algorithm will plot people up to the top. And it's like, oh, so-and-so just had a baby. Okay, that's important news. Now I have a choice. Do I click like? Do I write a comment? I'll skip that. And if I have their number, I'll send them a text or I'll send them an audio message or I'll call them on the phone, gasp, or I'll visit <laughs> them in person if that's appropriate for our level of, of rapport. And what that does is really, that's really important because since those, that engagement is a little bit higher, it's above, I call it above the fold, right? It's like the like and the comment, nobody's going to see it. Very few people are going to reply. But if you send them a text 
they're going to get it. They're going to read it. And now you're one of maybe like 20 people that's congratulated them mm-hmm. instead of a thousand people who just clicked like. Right. So that kind of opportunistic network maintenance uses Facebook and Instagram to do the heavy lifting. And then you just use that to decide who you're going to connect with. I also have systematic network maintenance where I use CRMs like contactually and I put people into different buckets. So if they've been on the show, every 90 days, I'll shoot them a little note. If they're a friend of mine, maybe they're in a 45-day bucket where I make sure I'm connecting with them and contactually will remind me to do that. And a lot of people go, if you need that to tell you what's important in your life, you're dysfunctional. I'm like, no, I just have 1,100 people that I want to keep in regular contact with and I'm adding more every single week. Yeah, It's okay to cheat when it comes to that because if you're just expecting your brain to manage this for you, then what it's going to do is only tell you about people when you need something from them, which is not a good way to develop a relationship. Yeah, I love Kins actually. And I'm really excited because I got interviewed by Z and he's going to come on my show. And uh, I've been talking about Kins actually. When I first launched, I talked about it so much in my show, it was as if they were a sponsor. <laughs> it yeah, made me look here. legit right out of the, out of the box too. Yeah. But I, the way I actually use it is very similar to you, which is I use it to keep track of my weakest connections. Not like I, I have my clients in there, but I don't need that to be reminded of my sure. clients or even my hot prospects. Like I know I, know I need to follow up. That's in my brain. But like you, it's, it's like, so I actually, I added a bucket called third tier. Mm-hmm. And if I, let's say you introduced me to someone, um, I would send it to my VA as we were trying to schedule a chat. And I would, I would let her know that we we're trying to do a meeting request. And so she would put them in the third tier with that note. And then that'll pop up a couple of times. And if I don't take action after the first, you know, two or three times it resurfaces, then usually it means I'm letting it go. Like I'm either yeah. going to be like, what was that about? Oh, right. I want to, because I'm trying to move them to one of those other buckets, like colleague, prospects, you know, influencer, you know, mentor or something mm-hmm. like something yeah. that I'll, I'll know why, I'm, why they're in my life because they just, there's so many people I meet that I don't yet know, but like the potential could be there. Um, and that one chance meeting, or let's say they're busy and they don't actually respond to that first email. So now what? It's like, I have to remember to follow up to be actually get something scheduled. To even though so you and I got introduced by Michelle um, Tiller, Lederman. Tillis Lederman, right? And yep. um, I feel like that's the kind of moment where like we got introduced, but you know, she, she might've reached out to you and you were like, I'm a little busy right now. I don't know if I'm going to respond right away. I don't, you know, like I'd have to know to like follow up with you to check in. Sure. Time. Now you were super quick, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm not pretty always quick the case. <laughs> yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Booking guests is always tricky. And I think the reason I reply quickly is because I prioritize what my goals are. So if something fits, then great. There's, there are 200 or 300 emails that are maybe even six weeks old or more in my inbox right now. It's just that there are people saying, hey, thanks. Your show's really good. I really like it. Thanks for doing it. That's not going to bubble up to the top of the list unless mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm spending the day at a cafe on the beach and I might as well clear out this inbox. You know, it's a low priority, but I'll still do it. So th- it, it does help to have those priorities in order in order to, to, to really get things done. People don't look at productivity as a set of prioritization, but it really is. Yeah. And the same thing goes for networking and, and relationship maintenance. You do need to have systems in place and priorities in place. Otherwise, you'll just do what everyone else does, which is go well, you know, I need to get my website going. So I'll check, I'll reach out to that person later. And you'll, 
the whole phrase, dig the well before you're thirsty, the premise behind that is a little bit flawed because people never think, I'm going to be thirsty later. They mm. all, we always think, well, I probably won't ever need this. Or once I see that I'm going to be thirsty, then I'll start trying to do it. It's like, if you got a book launch next year, it's too late. You're a, such a good example. You're like living the example of this because you were doing all this having no sense you were ever going to be thirsty and ever going to need a network the way you ended up needing it. Like no one expects their like whole livelihood to go away and have to start over again. Like no one right. expects that. But no. you know, if you had waited, I mean, luckily you were already sort of in the work doing that, right? Like you you built that habit up. Um, if you'd waited to do that, then you would have just been asking for favors from people who were like, who, what? Yeah. Like, who are you? Like, you know, oh, you want to connect with me on LinkedIn today because you're looking for a job today? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, um, but what about in person? Like, you travel quite a bit. Um, do you organize dinners? Do you, you know, create something special when you're at a conference? Like, like how do you facilitate do. those kind of spaces? I do. Yeah, that's, that's a great question too. And most people don't ask about these kind of things. I do, when I go to conferences or when I just go to another city, I'll find something I want to do in that city. Usually it's like an escape room or something like that, if you know what those are. And my wife and I, will we travel together. She works with me. And so she'll say, oh, this is a six-person room. So I'll reach out and I'll go, or I'll look in contactually or on Facebook and go, who do I know that's in the city of New York that would be interested in this? And I'll invite a bunch of people to do that. It works better than, hey, do you want to go sit at a restaurant and have 15 seconds of interaction with me because you're at the wrong side of the table and there's eight of us or 12 of us here? It's more like a really fun activity that I was going to do anyway where I'm going to be interacting with these people for a longer period of time and you're doing an activity that's not just eating. So more people are likely to say yes and you have a better interaction with them. Also, if I'm doing a conference, I might do miniature golf because you get off site, you go out, a lot of the time there's sun, you know, and you get a chance to get out of the conference room, over air conditioned conference room. Yeah. And you bring five people with you or something like that. You don't want 12 mini golf people going. So you keep the group small and there's a lot of downtime in mini golf while you wait for somebody else to take 20 shots, you know, to get through the windmill. So you're chatting, <laughs> you're having a beer or you're chatting or both. And it's a really good way to do this without running up a $800 dinner bill. And then having talked with the person across from you and the two people next to you and no one else. That is, I love, I love this idea of these like, these sort of focused activities that are also really fun. And I imagine yeah. that most of us aren't taking the time. I'm not taking enough time to do these like, these fun things. I was just driving past a mini golf the other day with my wife and I was like, we should go mini, play mini golf. Like, yeah. you know, like we should just do that. Um, and we have a almost two and a half year old. So like he's at that dangerous age where he could, you know, swing that club <laughs> and hurt somebody. Yeah. So this is perfect, yeah. perfect timing to teach him golf. Um, so th that's really clever. And, and it sounds like you're also making sure you know where people live. And that's, that's always a little tricky. Like you got to have a system for tracking that. And I know um, Ramit Sethi has, he just uses Gmail inbox labels. So when he knows like someone's from Chicago, he just adds that as a label to that person. So every time their email comes in, he kind of gets reminded if he's a search like, it's just like a simple way, you know, I think people are overthink this sometimes. You don't have to have a super, you know, CRM, but you do have to have a system. And yeah. it sounds like, you know, when you walk into a room, you know why you're going to be there. You know that you want to meet people. I mean, my book was about conferences in particular because people go to these spaces, but don't, don't have any intentions really set. But I imagine like 
you're at a point where you don't have time to do that anymore. You always go in having some sort of set amount of intention. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I actually keep a list. I call it, it's in Evernote. I keep a list of cities and people and it's like, okay, so I'm going to New York. So I literally will just click on New York and there's a whole Evernote sheet that says, here's everybody that's in New York. And oh, that's very wow. useful. You know, you can throw it in a Google sheet. You can throw it in Evernote. doesn't really matter. So, so, so useful. Unbelievably useful. You have a one, what do you call it? Like at a glance. Yeah. You know, at a glance, you can look and see. I love this. This is where I, the people these, are. These are the need. kind of takeaways that my listeners really, really appreciate. I have one other question on networking and then we're going to kind of get to the wrap up part. Um, mm-hmm. So I wondered like how you approach the idea of diversifying your network. You know, you were talking earlier that when you were in high school, you ended up having quite a diverse network to the point with where people took notice of that. And, you know, you probably at this point of your life, like appreciate that. Like you can see how there's benefits to that. I'm kind of leading the witness a little bit down this question. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> so how do you approach that? Are you, are you mindful? Do you like take stock of, you know, who it is you're surrounded by and like think, oh, you know what? Like I'm surrounded by all white men. Maybe I should, should change that up a little bit. You know, how do you make sure that, you, you know, both you and your show continue to like bring in like the best of people and not just like the easy yeses. Yeah. You know, that's actually really been something that I haven't thought to focus on as much. I, I do value it, but I have so many diverse friends already that I've gotten introduced to, but you're right. It is easy to kind of slip back into let's hang out with a bunch of white dudes. You know, that's kind of how it had been for a while, but now the entrepreneur space is super diverse. And I try to make an effort to see as many people as I can in those different circles. And so I guess I don't really consciously do this, but I think it's important to consciously do this if you're not, and you don't have that diversity in your network. Because I know people go, ah, diversity, it doesn't matter. I just got to get my stuff done. The idea that other people think differently than you, the science is not out on this. Like the, you know that having people who are different from you that have different backgrounds from you makes you a better thinker. It makes you a better creative. So I will purposely seek that stuff out. And if I look at my media calendar and it's like friend from college, friend from when I grew up, and it's all just similar sort of stuff like that, I know I'm not going to achieve the goal of getting any sort of diverse thought involved. So it's happened for me pretty organically. Like I look at my New York schedule, my East Coast schedule, there's a lot of different folks that I'm going to be seeing and of all different shapes, sizes, colors. Yeah. So it's not really going to be a problem for me, but I do think that it's a worthwhile goal if you do look at yours and you're like, wow, I'm only hanging out with women who grew up in the Midwest just like me or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that's awesome. So where can people find you and follow your work, Jordan? Sure. So if you're listening to this podcast, which you are, theoretically, the Jordan Harbinger Show can be found wherever fine podcasts are sold. And also our live programs and a lot of the networking stuff that I do uh, is at Advanced Human Dynamics. And if you click on level one, I've done a dozen and change videos about scroll to the bottom of your phone and text and here's the systems I use and here's how I re-engage this and here's how I maintain this and here's the system I use for that. I've created videos on that because I found like burning CDs and carrying them in my pocket, I'm having the same talks like here's how you start and maintain a network and i thought i need to be able to go just go here and look at that so that's at advanced human dynamics and if you click on level one you get that stuff but 
look, if people find the Jordan Harbinger show and they like it, I'm happy. Yeah, please, folks, do check it out. Help him get to 5 million, which is happening like a minute from now. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to happen. So. This is great. Thank you so much for all the value you just shared and um, for just being on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jordan. Such a pleasure to speak with him and learn about his leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for the encore of episode 94. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. And don't forget to subscribe for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week. I'll be interviewing another town professional who's achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.